Hey everyone, welcome back for the 21st time, well, 22 if you count the trailer. Laszlo Montgomery here once again with another THP episode. This time around I wanted to sort of recap some of the things mentioned over the past 20 episodes. This is as far as I plan to take this Tea History podcast. From here on out, I'll be coming up with some new content and I'll be interviewing experts and people in the industry. We'll make things up as we go along. The history of tea certainly is a long one that is intricately meshed with the history and culture of China. Whether this bond actually began in 2737 BCE with Shennong, eh, who's to say for sure. All we can be assured of is that the original tea garden that grew as nature planned it began long before the development of Neolithic civilizations and was located in southwest China and around the Golden Triangle and stretched westward all the way to the Brahmaputra Valley of eastern India. We know for certain that's where it all began and always thrived, as it still does today. Tea history is longer and older than many of the oldest tea trees that still stand today. Tea trees that are a thousand, two thousand, and maybe even three thousand years old are still growing wild, offering silent testament to their long existence. Who knows how many thousands of years passed before humankind discovered the merits of this leaf. We can marvel at how the Chinese were the first to discover tea and how to heat it, pound it, bake it, roll it, smoke it, dry it, and do whatever it was to create a beverage that would, in time, meet with almost universal acceptance in every civilization who came in contact with it. Tea culture didn't just happen in China. Wherever tea went, the people of those lands would enjoy this beverage. After familiarizing themselves with tea, people would swaddle this drink with their own culture and add their unique touch and make it special just for them. This happened wherever tea went. Even though I've been rambling on for all these episodes about tea, the truth is I've barely scratched the surface of this subject. What tea means in China isn't necessarily what tea means in Turkey, Every place has their own preferred tastes and unique ways to prepare it and enjoy it. If you're interested at all, there's really a whole world to enjoy. For all of you who perhaps haven't sampled tea beyond a Lipton or Tetley tea bag, I hope this series has so far inspired you to maybe go beyond this tried-and-true brew and sample some of the delights of artisanal loose-leaf tea. Yeah, it takes a little more time to prepare, but anyone will tell you. There's a world of difference. In the previous episodes, I introduced many of the key people remembered in the history of tea for various reasons. We went as far back as 59 BCE with Wang Bo and that ancient contract that itemized tea, as well as other info that revealed an existing tea market in the time of Emperor Shen of the Western Han. The story of Wang Bao for centuries was as far back as the tea story went. Then, in 2016, tea buds were discovered in the tomb of Han Emperor Jing. This isn't necessarily proof of a culture of tea drinking, but it does show 
They knew about Camellia Sinensis that far back when this emperor reigned, 157 to 141 BCE. During the Western Han, the Chazu, or tea ancestor, Wu Li Jun, brought those seven tea bushes to Mengding Shan in Sichuan around 53 BCE and began the organized cultivation of tea in China for the first time. We saw in part one how, in China's case, evidence of tea's development from bitter vegetable to pleasure drink was found in a number of historical documents that showed how far tea had advanced over the history timeline. Each of these surviving works are like pieces of a jigsaw puzzle that showed the progression of how much closer the Chinese were getting over the centuries to achieving a full understanding of tea's secrets. The Shuo Wenjie Zi, as mentioned in part one, showed us the character Ming for tea and explained in the Han Dynasty what tea was. And as we got deeper and deeper into the Han Dynasty, literature that mentioned tea began to become more plentiful. But like anything from 2,000 years ago, unless someone carved it in stone or cast it in bronze, or if archaeologists got lucky and stumbled into a tomb that, by chance, had not yet been plundered, there's very little that survives. All we have, really, up until the time of the Tang Dynasty, are just bits and pieces of these references made to long-lost works. We also introduce the people in China, rather unknown, who get credited for being the first to make something of tea. And these were the people of Ba and Shu. These two kingdoms were located mostly in Sichuan province. Today, all over the capital of Sichuan, Chengdu, you could see references to Shu everywhere. We looked at the introduction of Gongcha, or tribute tea. If the tea was good enough for the emperor, you could rest assured that it had reached a stage of refinement and quality whereby others, much less exalted than the emperor of China, wanted a taste as well. And then once the Sui and Tang came and went, tea had its first truly great moment on the national stage. That really was the dividing line as far as Chinese tea history is concerned. There was everything before Lu Yu in the Tang, and then everything that followed. The Tang Dynasty brought tea culture to great heights unseen before in China. Successive dynasties would build on the achievements in the Tang and add their particular touch later on. But it was in the Tang where tea and tea culture truly turned a corner. And because of the Silk Road that was already many centuries old, traders and Buddhist pilgrims who came to Chang'an, the capital, also had their first close encounters with Cha, as it began to be called. We saw how the first ones outside China to get hooked on tea were those closest in proximity to China. From this period in the Tang, Bian Cha, or border tea, began to be traded and for a two-way trade to exist, you needed something to barter for and a route to get there. So I gave a brief overview of the Cha Ma Gu Dao, the ancient tea horse road that you could still see bits and pieces of today. I showed how Buddhism cuddled up nice and close with tea from the earliest times. In the Tang and clear through to the Qing, it was the Buddhist monasteries who would cultivate some of the most prized teas. And in the case of Chan, or Zen Buddhism, tea would 
actually become part and parcel of the liturgy. I mentioned a couple times Japan's contribution to tea was so great and far-reaching that I decided not to wade too deep into those waters yet. We looked at the monks Saicho and Kukai, who did so much to bring Camellia Sinensis to the land of the rising sun. What tea inspired in literature, painting, ceramics, calligraphy, and social customs is a whole massive topic in and of itself. Although I didn't delve too deep into this aspect of tea, I hope at least I gave you an appreciation of how tea, like wine, served as a muse to inspire so many creative minds to produce works of art from their paintbrushes and inkbrushes. I read you Lu Tong's famous poem, Qi Wan Shi, Seven Bowls of Tea. That was one of the countless tens of thousands of these so-called tea poems produced between the Tang and the Qing, and I suppose even in our modern day, poets can't resist writing about tea. In later episodes, I trace the history of tea in the post-Tang world. In the Tang era, tea for the first time assumed the role in Chinese society as a link between art and life. We looked at jianware, xingware, and qingbai as a few of the most famous early examples of cha ju, or teaware. Then in the Song, tea was ground down into a powdered form, and people would dian cha, or whisk the tea, and the low and high-born alike would engage in dou cha contests with each other. And even more so than in the Tang, aesthetics and tea joined up in the Song and gave birth to all kinds of ceramic, artistic, and literary treasures. We also looked at the main Chaoren of the northern Song, Tsai Xiang, who, among a long list of achievements, gave us the Cha Lu, the record of tea. Tsai Xiang took Lu Yu's classic of tea up to Song Dynasty standards and left his mark as a great contributor to the many tea treatises of imperial Chinese history. The Song was another great dynasty of poets. One of the most revered men of his age, still beloved today, was Su Shi, Su Dongpo. He was, among many other things, a great tea expert of his day. He left a lot of tea-inspired poems that were recited throughout the ages. And yes, he gave us the braised pork dish, Dongpo Ro, for which I am forever thankful, though my coronary system might take issue with that. In the Ming, loose tea, as we know it in our day and age, became the standard throughout the land. By executive order from no less a man than the founding emperor Zhu Yuanzhang, the Hongwu Emperor. We looked at the Ming contributions to a long line of tea classics. The Cha Pu was written by the Hongwu Emperor's apolitical son, Zhu Quan. This was followed by another work written by Gu Yuanqing, one that shares the same name the Chapu, or Tea Manual, or Tea Guidebook. We saw how the Ming let forth a gusher of new tea culture. Jing De Jun became the most renowned supplier of imperial and mass-grade ceramics the world had ever seen up to that time, and they were practically an arm of the imperial government in Beijing. Yi Xingware became all the rage during the Ming, we looked at all those zisha, purple clay items, and I mentioned how, for Pu'er and Oolong, all the experts swear by this kind of yixingware. Next time you're in Hong Kong, feel free to check out Vitasoy founder K.S. Lowe's yixingware collection, 
located in Hong Kong Park at the Flagstaff House Museum of Teaware. K.S. Lowe was one of the greatest collectors of these treasures and did a lot to bring back and popularize Yixing teapots in the 20th century. Then we closed off our history of tea with the arrival of the Western traders into China's perfect little world, the Portuguese, the Dutch, the British, the French, and after 1783, the Americans as well. Everyone came to China to buy tea. Maybe the market just got too big for China's restrictive export system, so we saw how trouble began when British traders sought out a way to get around this system. In the late 1840s and early 1850s, the whole kit and caboodle of how to plant tea, grow it, pick it, process it, and shape it into all kinds of different ways, everything, the hardware and the software, it was all surreptitiously secreted out of China, loaded on a ship, and off to India, everything went. And China's export tea industry took a big hit because of that. By the time of the Roaring Twenties, there was almost no Chinese presence in Western international tea markets. By then, over a million Indian workers were mass-producing the stuff in the mountains and hills of northeastern India, and no small amount in Sri Lanka as well. But tea is roaring back, and those who like to buy it from small-time operations offering the absolute topmost quality can do this online. This is the way to go. And if you're fortunate enough to have access to a tea shop in your neighborhood, you can get all kinds of fresh stuff and a nice variety of China and India teas, and from other places as well. I used to live near a tea shop in Claremont, but uh, I regret they did not survive COVID. But when they were around and when I lived there, they also had teas from Vietnam, Iran, Kenya, and other places. So I hope the Tea History Podcast uh, has piqued your curiosity a little regarding tea. There are a whole lot of tea aficionados out there who have written books, uploaded videos, given lectures and tea ceremony demonstrations. There's no shortage of resources for you to refer to and learn from. If you want to dive headfirst into the world of tea, there are a cavalcade of experts and cha-dashers out there to show you the ropes, and they do it in many languages. Obviously, if you can understand Mandarin, you could watch tea videos on Chinese platforms like Youku and many others. And as I said, when you start to test out your first artisan loose-leaf teas, there are plenty of online shops carrying everything and everything you might ever dream of having as part of your own personal supply of leaf as well as the equipage. That's all I have for y'alls this time. If no one minds too much, I'm going to take some time off. As I said, I'll be back again with more episodes, so stay subscribed, and when those new THP shows drop, you won't miss a single one. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. This is Laszlo Montgomery signing off from lovely SoCal. I do hope you'll think it over and consider joining me next time, and it won't be too long for another exciting episode of the Tea History Podcast.